0: Hallelujah. May we just approach the throne of grace in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you at this time. You are God from everlasting to everlasting. There's none but you. You know the end from the beginning because you are the Alpha and the Omega. At this moment, Father, I pray but speak through this vessel of clay. As only God can. Do that which only God can do. And no man can match. To your own glory, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Um as I've been introduced, I am Pastor Jeffrey Taylor from the kingdom of uh, Swaziland. It's not a Swatin, it is Swaziland. (laughs) Let me make that clear. Um, Saved, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm a married man, married to one wife. Just one wife. Uh, The Lord has blessed us with children. As Pastor Cody has already explained and introduced, introducing me, there's a whole lot of things that I'm involved in, but one very important thing, and that's heavy on my heart, is souls. The lost, that, that has been weighing very heavy on my life the last past five years. I was saved in a different way from what other people have experienced, but this issue of the lost doesn't give me peace. And there's a reason why Jesus has saved us. Amen. In Swaziland, I am a pastor who who leads a church that is planting churches. And also, I think the leadership here will explain that probably in, in due course to you. And also, I do a prison ministry. In the prison ministry, I have learned something really painful in my heart. The world needs Jesus. The world needs, they may not want him, but they need him. The world needs a savior. It is only when they come to contact with the savior that they say, most of them would say, how I wish I had an opportunity to have known the Lord earlier my life would have had meaning. We thank God for what he is doing in saving people, not only in Swaziland, but globally. I believe there's something the Lord is doing throughout the globe. Having said that, may I please invite this church, please pray for Swaziland. The situation is not all that good in there. It's really tough, amen. Please pray for? Now, I'm very interactive when it comes to preaching. It's not a one-way talk. We must <laughs> interact, all right? Please pray for? Swaziland. Not a Swatini. Pray for? Swaziland. Uh-huh. Please, may we pray for the nation of Swaziland. The situation there politically is not the best that we may want to, to have. Just yesterday, there was a funeral Yesterday morning, they were burying somebody that was killed. Uh, Starting from last uh, 29 June, there was a murder of massacre of over 200 people in one day. And from there, things just went south. Myself, my life was kind of on the line. And there was a time I had to run for my life. Thanks to Brother Cody and the others here, they made arrangements. I had to run and hide in South Africa for about two weeks. And on my coming here, I was given the same warning. And that's why from here, I'm not going back to Swaziland. I'll have to be in hiding in South Africa somewhere for at least a week or two. The situation is not all that good. Amen. But there's something I can tell you. There is a God in heaven. And that God is in charge. That's why I'm not actually in fear of anything, because he can take care of us. Amen. Amen. I'm not intimidated or anything. I know there is a God in heaven. And he rules and reigns over the affairs of men. So please be with us in prayer uh, that the Lord will intervene in the political situation in Swaziland, speedily so, before we lose many lives. Amen. We are aware that uh, the king has engaged Russian mercenaries to kill people there. Uh, they arrived la- this previous Tuesday, about at least fifty of them, and there's a whole lot of things that are happening. But just pray for us. We are in a tough time, and we are in the tough time when the king has. He openly, he himself, openly said that he's got his God is mercenaries who will deal with the people. It's not like speculation, he said it with his own mouth. So we we are aware that uh, we are in for a rough ride, amen. But then, even then, there is a God in heaven, amen. He is in charge. Can we just go to the word of God in the book of Mark, chapter 5? We will do a lot of reading today, and... uh, Trust me, I'm not going to keep you here for long. We will leave pretty soon. By midnight, no one will be here. We will all be home. So we won't stay that long. So we will leave. Amen. Uh, Pastor Cody, if anybody has a problem with that, take it up with Cody. (laughs) Not me. And one thing, I, I'm a very soft-spoken person in my nature. That's how I am. So bear with me, amen. But as you bear with me, make sure you don't sleep. <laughs> right. I, I don't think they've provided beds in here. Shall we stand for the reading of the Lord's word? I always uh, ask people to stand when we read the word, not as a tradition, but just to honor the word of God. Amen. Thus goes the word. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately they met met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived amongst the tombs. Somebody say he lived amongst the tombs. Say it loud. He lived amongst the tombs. He lived amongst the dead. A man, okay, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with chains, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched them apart And he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Nay that day, night and day amongst the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself, somebody say cutting himself, himself. with stones he replied my name is legion for we are many and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country now a great herd of pigs swine was feeding there on the hills and they begged him saying send us to the pigs let us enter them so he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out of the men and entered the pigs And the head of uh, pigs, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep banks into the sea and were drowned in the sea. And the headsman fled and told it in the city and in the country. The people came to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus. Somebody say they came to Jesus. And saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legend sitting there. Somebody say, sitting. Sitting. Clothed. Somebody say, clothed. Clothed. Oh, you preach with me today. Sitting there clothed, and in his right mind. Somebody say, right mind. And in his right mind. And they were afraid, and those who had seen it described to those others what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends. Somebody say, Go home. Go home. To your friends. Go home. home. Shouted, Go, Go home. To your friends. And tell them, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, number one, and number two, how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, ten cities that is, how much the Lord had done for him, and everyone marveled. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We may be seated. Today I just want to challenge us briefly on a subject or topic I have entitled the talk, You Are Saved to Serve. You are saved to serve. Tell your neighbor, you are saved to serve. Speak loud. Tell your neighbor, you are saved to serve. Now, here we are reading a story of a man. I want us to get the background to the story. Jesus was teaching and preaching to a crowd, big crowd of people. Now, we know Jesus is God in man. God, fully God, fully man. So he has all the attributes of God. That is, he is omniscient, somebody omniscient. What does that mean? He He knows everything. He knows nothing takes him by surprise. Now, this previous day, he is talking to a crowd, a big group of people. And then he says to this team of disciples, let us cross over to the other side. They leave the crowd, crossing over. He knows what is going to happen there. The disciples don't know, but being God, he knows what's going to happen there. He left the crowd, and on the other side, this man who was living in the tombs met him. And this man was demon possessed. People Tried their means to help him. But they failed. They chained him. It didn't work. They did everything they could in human power. They could not. Brothers and sisters, you can never solve spiritual problems through human means. Never. If you are to deal with spiritual issues... You need to engage spiritual methods. I'll get to that in a moment. Jesus steps out and this man comes to him. And he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the living God, son of the most high? And then he cast out the demon. We know the story. I'm not going into that. When the man is liberated, before he was liberated, I just want to put us into picture with the before and the after. He was staying in the tombs, so violent, hating himself, crying day and night, looking for help, but help could not come. And undressed. Isn't that the same thing the devil does today? Are they not hating themselves, those that are demon possessed? Yes. Oh, they are hating themselves, believe you me. When they take them drugs, that's hurting themselves. There's all kinds of hurt that they inflict in their physical bodies. They are not in charge of those things. It's the demons running them. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, you cannot solve those problems through human means. You cannot counsel a demon from a person. No, you can't. You can't punish a demon through a person. No, you can't. That's why when, even if they are incarcerated and put into prison, it doesn't change that they continue until Jesus shows up. It is Jesus who liberates and delivers a human being. We can try doing all these kinds of things, but they go right back because there's a demon, a spirit in charge. This man gets liberated from whatever hurt he was doing on himself. And the people see that. There's something I want us to learn here. Once he is liberated, he says, Lord, leave me not here. May I go with you? I want to be with you where you are. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. no. Stay put right here. Go to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And tell them. How he has had mercy on you. Saved to serve. Saved to serve. That's why when Jesus saved us, upon our salvation, he didn't just take us, go home immediately. He left us here for a reason. You are here to serve. Not here to have fun. I'll get that in, into that in a minute. Now, this is one thing I need us to realize, brothers and sisters. When Jesus left the crowd, he knew only one man was going to be saved. One. But that one man was valuable enough for Jesus to leave a crowd and go attend to one person was important enough that he, Jesus would leave all the masses and say, there's a man bound up that I need to liberate. Going to the boat. The boat had challenges along the way. He knew there were going to be challenges in that boat. It was going to meet a storm, but he said, I will go nonetheless, because somebody needs liberation, needs to be delivered. Let me tell you something and challenge you on this, brothers. We live amongst people bound up, tormented by evil spirits. Sometimes Christians make the worst of mistakes, the worst, the worst of mistakes. They get angry with the people they are supposed to serve. All these drug addicts, these people are a nuisance in our city. These people are A, B, C, D. These, um, I may tell you something today. They are bound up. They need a savior. They are, they are, they are captured. They need a savior. They hurt themselves with all kinds of things. They even are a threat. The Bible teaches in the, in the other book that in that area where this man was, nobody could walk there because he was now a danger. Isn't that what we do today? There are areas that don't, don't go that side. It's dangerous. That side is dangerous. You have all the drug heads. um, They call them crackheads, whatever you call them. You may give them the names. They call them drug addicts, whatever. But let me tell you today and challenge you to see it from the way God sees it. They are the lost. They are the bound up. They are the lost. It hurts God. It hurts God to see souls in that state. He is willing to go even for one of them. They are that important to him. Do you know how bad it is for the current Christian community? They are no longer touched in their hearts when they see people in sin, drowning and dying. They are not touched. Instead, they they, they take all kinds of precautionary measures to protect themselves. Protect their families from these people. To them, it is these people. I trust that you are not like that, but you are like Jesus because Jesus is in you. You should portray the characters of Jesus Christ in you. When you see these people that are bound up, whatever they do, Jesus says he came to a crowd. He saw them scattered like sheep without a, oh, you know that. And then when he saw them, the Bible says he had compassion over them. That's how we should see the world. We must have what? Compassion. We must be touched that these people are lost. Because here is the reality. Brothers and sisters, when a person dies without Jesus, he is going to hell for all eternity. I'm not talking about going to hell for five years, ten years, a hundred years. For all eternity. And this person will be in torture, in torment. That's why it moved God to say, I cannot stand the destiny of the lost. He came down to planet earth just so he could save us. He didn't save us so that we have a good time. He wants every other person. When he saw the crowd, the Bible says he had compassion over them. And he said, the harvest is truly great. But laborers are few. Even today, the harvest, even today, the harvest is great. In your own family, there is the harvest. Your own family. Imagine your brother, your mother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your cousin. If they are lost, you must have, you might have fun today with them. You will celebrate as a family. This Thanksgiving day, we come together as a family. But when it comes to the end, you are going to be with the Lord. They are lost. Do you really love them? Why are you not touched by them in that state of being lost? Why are you not moved into tears? Why are you not moved onto your knees? Go beyond your family. The neighbors, the community you live in, the nation as a whole, We are irritated by the gays and the lesbians and whatever nonsense there is on the planet, even if it's legalized. But to Jesus, they are lost. Our approach and attitude towards that, we should realize the devil has got them all bound up and Jesus is looking upon us to bring him to them. I see us... The, the church, the people, as the boat that will take Jesus to where he is needed. Because we are the temple of the living God. He dwells in us. When I go to a place, I am bringing Jesus. Not, not anything else. Yes, you might meet the storms as you go. The boat met the storms. You might have all the challenges, all the laws that are in the land that this is not something allowed in the schools, preaching is not allowed. Find a way to bypass those so that you bring Jesus to the people. There shouldn't be any obstacle that should stop you from leading people to Jesus and bringing Jesus to the people. You are the boat that should do that. Think not only in your community and the country, think across the globe, the whole world, I'm coming from a country whereby they do all kinds of weird practices spiritually. All ca- if you think there's no witchcraft, you are just joking. You are just joking. It, it, it's like somebody saying there's no devil. Let me tell you something. There is a devil. Okay? Okay? And he is busy. That's why Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we less wrestle against principalities, spiritual authorities in the, the powers of darkness. That's what They are there. So, it, it, we need people who say, I will serve the Lord and bring him where he is needed. I will bring Jesus where he is needed. I will make sure the world is touched by the hand of God. You should be moved by the plight of the people that when these people die, where are they going? There are things that we need to prioritize our thi- There are things that we are busy with. It's good. We invest in s- social and humanitarian kind of activities whereby we feed the poor, we, we, we feed the hungry, we clothe the, those that are in debt. But let me tell you something the most important is the soul. You can feed them and they go to hell in a full stomach. You can clothe them, they get warm and go to hell warm. The solution is saving them, getting them saved. That is the critical thing. I'm not say, the other things are important, but ultimately, ultimately, whatever is done should bring Jesus to the person. Should, somebody say, "Hallelujah it hurts the Lord when a sinner dies. That's why Jesus, the Bible says, God follows a sinner up until the point of death. That's how important sinners are to God. But we don't see it that way. But when one repents, just one, somebody say one. When one repents, there is celebration in heaven. That's how important it is. The the heavens celebrate that he has finally escaped. He has finally escaped eternal condemnation. What are you doing in serving in that capacity? What do you do? Bringing Jesus to the people, bringing Jesus where he is needed, bringing Jesus to the hurting, to those that are bound up, to the lost. What is your role? What do you do? I, I challenge the church back at home, I say, how many people after three months, you have been a Christian, three months, how many people can say, I am glad I have come to know Jesus because of brother so and so? How many people can say about you, I am glad I have come to salvation Because of you. It's a question you have to ask yourself. As an individual. How many people are in the Lord, are in the kingdom of God because of me? If there's none, it's time to check. Where are you serving? Because preaching is not only from the pulpit. You have audience from Monday to Monday. You work your job. When you get there, there are lost people in your workplace. They need to know Jesus. And you are the boat to bring him to them. They should come to the point of saying, I work with brother Andrew. Let me make an example. He was such a man that I've come to know Jesus because of him. And do not bother yourself and think, oh, the church is full, there's no space. Where are we going to keep the people? There's always room at the table. There's always room at the table. Whatever program is there cannot be interrupted by one more person coming in. If we could take, I'll just have a few things to suggest. Number one. Some people would say, I don't know how to bring Jesus. I can't share the gospel. I can't preach, but can I tell you something? You surely can invite somebody to church. Every one of us can invite. You can invite people to for dinner. There's something I, I, li- I, I liked I found here the last time I was here, dining with sinners. Be selective in saying, I will be selecting sinners, just to invite them for dinner, once say, a week, in my house. And they see how we do things in, the, in my family. They, they get impacted. Because once people interact and see some things, they're just challenged. Without you saying much, invite them. Somebody say invitation. Somebody say invitation. Can I ask you, each and every one of you here today, next week, you make sure you invite somebody Who does not go to church at all? At all. That he be here next week, Sunday. You do the invitation, the ministers will do their work. You don't know how to preach. Can I tell you a secret? Very important secret. The Word of God, number one, is alive, it's got life in it. Number two, the Word of God is powerful. It's not about you, it's about the Word. Once the Word gets into the person, it's a seed sown. It will do its work. Get the person to be exposed to the Word, and you leave the rest to the Lord. Everybody can invite, amen. You can invite. We have friends, isn't it? Young children at school, you have friends, don't you? Who are school-going children? Uh, Let me see those that, that go to school. Even you? I'm joking. Everybody that goes to, do you have friends at school? If you have friends, you can invite them. At at friendship level, you can do what? Invite them. Number two, besides inviting, you actually can share the gospel. This man we are reading about, Jesus said to him, go. Tell them. Somebody say, go tell. Go tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The world will understand you better. When you have your before, this is what I was before. But today, this is what I am. I was a drug addict. But today, you know what? Some of the things that we've gone through in life, don't be ashamed of them. Because they are the instruments and the tools you can reach out to others. Right. Because when you tell them, the Lord took me from this. from I, was, I wasn't born a preacher. And boy, I was violent. I was violent. And I used to do boxing, but uh, I used to do a whole lot of things. I was very violent. But when... One man, one time I remember I went, there's a place called Lomahasha, close to the border with Mozambique. He said, if God could save that man, we were in class in the same school with him, and he said, if God could save that man, the show sure is a saving Jesus. There was no way that man could be saved. One time we had a teacher. I, I was a person didn't talk much. I was a man of few words. This teacher passed a comment I didn't like. Kids, you don't do that, all right? I was off. I was wrong. I hit that person. The issue got really out of hand. And I would breathe so, it's like when I was angry, something would sit on my, on my throat. I couldn't talk, I couldn't do anything. I would choke. The only thing then, I would pray for you. Is it called praying? But Lord Jesus Christ saved me. When he saved me in that same school, where they knew me, the teachers, the students in that same community where they knew me, that's where I started having significant impact. Because they knew my before. This is how the man was. You understand this thing? And now this is how he is. The before and the after. And in between is Jesus. This before and after is only because of Jesus. To a point that there's a guy who is now a leader of one of the big churches in Manzini who was saved through that. He made the comment and said, when you got saved, we were looking and observing. Let me tell you something. People observe your life without you noticing. They observe how you are, if you say you're a Christian or whatever you are. They are challenged by your life. That becomes a very good opportunity for you to do what? Share the gospel. When they know you before and your after. That's why Jesus said, go to your own people, the people who know you. Who know that this man used to stay in the tombs, but now he stays. He used to walk naked. He used to cut himself and hurt himself, but today he is sound-minded. What is the reason for that? And the only reason is Jesus. It becomes real to the people. Share the gospel from your own practical experiences. But now the challenge we have for mon- most of the time, amongst many Christians, their before and their after is the same. There is no change. They used to hate to be haters before they claimed to be saved, and they are still hating. They used to be unforgiving, and they are still unforgiving. There are people they wouldn't talk to because this one hurt me so many years back. They don't see the change. Instead of bringing people to Jesus Christ, you run them off. There must be a clear distinction before your before between your before and your. Oh, you said it yourselves. There must be a clear distinction such that the people would say, I, I know what he used to be. I see what he is now. I want to know what caused the difference. And I want that experience. If God could save this one, I need that Savior. I need that Savior. Share from your personal experience. I'm running out of time here. Third, but not least. Oh, No. Third, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, we need to change our prayer life. We need to change our prayer life. I said, spiritual problems cannot be solved through natural means. The, The one key thing we all have as Christians is prayer. We change things through prayer. When you see my brother, my father, my uncle, my whatever is lost, bring them to the Lord in prayer. It means, if it means me fasting for seven days fast, take a fast and say, Lord, have mercy. I pray that you may reach, because the Spirit of God is the one who brings convictions, not you. No matter how eloquent you may be in speech, it is the Spirit of God who brings the conviction. And there's something Jesus said. When it comes to prayer. I want you to understand this. He was, the, one time the disciples taught, asked him, teach us how to pray. He taught them. This is how we pray. That's in the book of Luke. Say, our Father who art in heaven, you know that. And then immediately after that, he makes a very important thing or statement regarding the attitude and the approach you should have in prayer. He said, I'll tell you a story there was a man who had a friend. The friend had a visitor and he had nothing to offer him. So he went to his friend and knocked, give me some bread so that I can give my visitor something to eat. And the friend could not get up to give him because his family was inside, children and wife were inside and the door was, well you said it. And then he said, although he could not wake up and give him what he wanted at that time but because of the man's nagging consistency and giving up attitude the man would get up and give him all that he needs and then he says i tell you with that attitude ask and you shall receive knock and it shall be opened unto you seek And you shall find. For everyone with that attitude who asks, receives. With that attitude who knocks is open to him. With that attitude and approach who seeks will always find. He was teaching them about prayer. The problem with the nowadays church, we are used to the, somebody say, we are a microwave generation. We need fast things. You labor in prayer. You labor in prayer. You need to have knees as though they are of a camel because you are always on your knees interceding for your community, interceding for your people. When I started praying for this country some few years back, there are things that were not going right because the Bible says our weapons are not canal but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds and bringing to captivity everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is what you have to do. In prayer, you need to bring those strongholds of the enemy down. And if, if it means you do prayer walks, do you know prayer walks here? You walk through the community, you divide yourselves as a church. No, no, no. Iron City or Aniston is not going to be dominated by all these evil or wicked drug dealers and everything. We bind every stronghold of whatever in this community. You walk across, you pray, and let the people be convicted by the Holy Spirit. You can... Praying, you don't need a crowd. It takes you. It takes discipline. It takes commitment. Let me, ask, let me do this again. Praying takes commitment. It takes discipline. It takes focus. And the devil will interrupt your prayer life. You go into prayer. You start praying before you know what you are thinking. Uh-oh. I didn't change the oil. I didn't get the oil changed in the car. It's been making… You're supposed to be praying, though. Now you start thinking, oh, well, the kids are supposed to take so-and-so wherever. Oh, this is the dentist appointment. Discipline yourself and focus. This is what we do sometimes. I would have a list of people I'm praying for. I have my area, my, in my office, where I pray. I lay the, the papers there, and Lord, I say, I call them by my name, by their names. I'm praying for Andrew Naneli. And that's how I pray for some of you here that I know. And <laughs> brothers and sisters, when you are praying, you are not just uttering words. There's a God in heaven who hears. And that God answers prayers. That God answers prayers. You may not see how he works. This guy called Mordecai, when he prayed, when they were attacked by Haman, he prayed to the living God. On the surface, things looked as if nothing was happening, but behind the scenes, the holy God of heaven was busy addressing this thing. If anything, in the eyes of Mordecai, things seemed like they are going well for Haman, their enemy. It's like Haman is winning. It looked like Haman is on, in control because immediately Haman became very close to the king. And before you know it, he was invited for dinner and for all these things, he was treated to banquets. But the same God was working in, through those things. Do not focus on what you see. Focus on your faith in what you believe and pray for. God answers Prayers especially if you pray according to his will. It is his will to have everybody saved. And it is, important, it is not impossible for God to start and kick off a revival that no man can stop. You have, you've, you've heard of the Azusa Street revival, right? Things like those are born or birthed out of prayer, intense prayer, intense committed prayer. Pray. You are are saved to serve in inviting the people. You are saved to serve in sharing the gospel. You are saved to serve in prayer. Let me end with this one. Uh Uh-oh, my time is up. You must commit yourself to be an enabler. You may not be able to share the gospel, but there are people out there who are doing it. People like Diane, they need resources to go there, right? Be there. Paul Paul prayed this prayer, which most Christians like. They say, the Lord shall supply all of my needs according? Oh, you know that too. Why did Paul say that? That if you read just above that, he first of all appreciated that that church was an enabling church to him. They were there to enable him. They provided the things that he needed. And as a result, his God was to supply their need because they met his need. Christians are quick to to look for the scriptures that are more like favorable to them, not understanding the context in which they come. Enable the people on the ground. And be an enabler. The, this, this is a mission summit, isn't it? There are missionaries you are partnering with as a church. Enable them to do the work. Where they are limited, be the hand. that, when, when Joshua was fighting the war, Moses had to lift the arms. Sometime at a point in time, his arms were tired. Some people came and stood by him. And they achieved the victory. We need each other, we need people to enable those that are doing the work. You can definitely serve as an enabler. You can definitely do something significant. And you know what? When you have enabled somebody in Mexico to do the ministry, it goes to the, to your credit before God. You will be surprised when God says, well done, good and faithful servant. When I was in prison, you visited me. And you would be like, when did I visit you? You enabled somebody to do that. When I was in hospital sick, you met my need. Lord, when did I do that? There's somebody you enabled to go and meet a need in hospital. That counts to your credit. That counts to your reward. You can serve in inviting the people you should serve in inviting the people you must serve inviting the people in inviting the people you can serve in sharing the gospel you must serve in sharing the gospel through your life your before and your after touching lives you must serve in that capacity let the people see what the lord has done for you not only within your community, this man went into the Decapolis, which is ten cities. You've got a very wide place area of influence. Unfortunately, and fortunately, the world today is in very close disposal. Technology has made everything shrink and get small. You can do a lot more than you can imagine in impacting people's lives. Share the gospel, serve in sharing. You can share. Oh, serve in prayer. Let this church, let this sanctuary be a house of prayer. Let the people, when they come here, experience a fire that they have never experienced. I walked in that church once. I was touched by that something I don't even know what. I was touched by a power, a presence that I don't understand. That can only happen when the people pray. We need people to serve in prayer. Let there be prayer warriors, people that will wait on the Lord day and night and say, Lord Jesus, you said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here is your church. Let no gate of hell prevail against it. Let the people pray. Somebody say, I will pray. And that is an assignment for every Christian. Every. Do you understand what I said? What did I say? That includes you. I I will pray. I am assigned to pray. Say it loud. I am called to pray. pray. Say it again. I I am called to pray. Please drum this thing into yourself. I have an assignment to pray for the world. Last but not least, you are called to serve as an enabler. You may not reach the whole world, but there are people where the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ is needed, where you can never reach. But when you support them, the Middle East, Jesus is needed there. That's a a, a Muslim infested country bound up. You can help. Shall we bow our heads?